1: where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, age successfully, making your second half of life even better than the first. Today, we'll be talking with Linda Fostek, an internationally recognized speaker, author, and expert in crisis planning. Linda will be showing us how to prepare for the crises we will inevitably face in our lifetime in order to, as she puts it, help us get off the worry-go-round. Now, crisis planning is a subject I've been interested in for a long time, especially during my career as a newspaper journalist, when it seemed like we were covering crisis almost every day. One crisis, after another, after another. And the bigger the crisis, the better, or at least the bigger the story. But I also saw that when we simply reacted to these crises, things often seemed more chaotic and conflicted, driven by fear and panic. And the solutions were more complicated. The options were more limited and much more expensive than if we had spent a bit more time preparing for things that might go wrong. Now, I realize we're not a country that likes to plan much. More often, we Americans prefer to rely on our wits to get us out of a jam. Yet, as the pace of social and economic change, not to mention environmental change, has accelerated over the last several decades, so too has the number of crises. Many of these situations may not be preventable, but they may be more manageable with a modicum of forethought today's conversation, Linda Fostick lays out the steps of preparation for possible personal or natural disasters. She'll describe how to create your own ice in case of emergency files, identify who needs to know about your plan, what they need to know about it, and offer some vivid examples of plans that have helped avert crises, or conversely, where lack of planning has led to some dire consequences. Linda's crisis planning approach can also be applied across communities, bringing together people and resources to help recovery efforts and save lives. Her essential approach is simply this, be part of the solution instead of part of the problem. So, when the next crisis hits the fan, will you'll be ready. To find out, let's meet Linda Fostick. Linda, welcome to the show.
2: I'm so happy to be here, Ron.
1: <laughs> it's great to see you today. Uh, now, in a previous conversation, Linda, you've mentioned to me that a lot of your inspiration for crisis planning is sort of a legacy, you know, came from your experience with your father. Tell us a bit about that.
2: Well, it's really interesting because my dad was an engineer and engineers are known for their solution approach to everything. You know, in fact, even as a young child, I wasn't allowed to whine and complain about things. I was actually told that, well, if you have a problem or if you have something that's not working for you, you have to bring a solution to him so that he knows what the problem is, but also that I've thought through a solution. So he made me think about how i could fix whatever was bothering me now often my solutions weren't the ideal solutions but then it gave us a point to negotiate and come up with a solution that was ideal so i grew up being a, a, i guess a crisis planner my whole life mm. uh, i was a girl scout he would you know and he he was one of these people that no matter what it was if he put his mind to it He could do it. He could build it. He could, he built this house. He built TVs. He built whatever. I mean, it's like he never did it before. Well, that didn't mean anything. He could read the instructions. He could learn. So when he was 70, he actually saw so many of his friends losing a spouse. Mm. And the crisis that the surviving spouse was thrown into was something that was really disturbing to him. Right. So, like, the husband had never, what, run the washing machine. The wife had never written a check, Um, you know, and it just only made the crisis worse than it needed to be. Usually what happens is the kids swooped in from all over the country and they scooped up mom or dad and moved them someplace. And six months later, they're shaking their head going, this wasn't my plan. This isn't what what I wanted, but nobody had a plan. They didn't communicate what they wanted. So my father, the solution guy decides what they need is that, operations manual for the house, huh. you know, like you have an, up. you know, you have a, a owner's manual for your car. Well, he created an owner's manual for the house, but it was written like an engineer. It looked like something an engineer had put together and he had no idea what to do with it. So it sat on a shelf for 23 years. Wow. And 23 years later, I was inspired by just a simple comment made by Kevin Harrington who is the inventor of, you know, the father of the infomercial. He's the one who brought the Ginsu knife to TV. (laughs) Right, right, right. And he actually now owns a company called As Seen on TV. And somebody asked him how he chose from the 20,000 products that he gets presented every year, the 20 to 30 he actually puts his brand on.
3: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
2: And he said if he saw something that filled a need, he felt compelled to bring it to the market. And I think everybody in the room could see a light bulb go on over my head because I... I thought of my father's thing, and I said, oh, my God, baby boomers need this now. We're taking care of our aging parents. We're facing our own mortality, and our kids are growing up and moving out on their own. So, that's when the crisis planner was born. So, it really is an inspiration and legacy for my dad.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I really resonated with that. My, my dad, too, was an engineer, and I think probably around the same time as, you know, there are lots of engineers uh, in the aerospace industry in Long Island, where my dad yeah. was, and Similar approach. i very impressed with his very methodical. You know, I remember he even was, uh, toward his later years, he was getting philosophical and trying to look at, um, you know, how do you determine if you're happy in life, you know? And, oh. he, and, and he had a very methodical chart, you know, with, a, you know, measurements and different categories, how you could, and you could measure you know, uh, one to ten in each category, and add them up quantitatively, and say, "Oh well, this is my level of happiness." So, yeah, <laughs> but but it, it it's very instructive, as you pointed out. You know, it really it really teaches you to be um, solutions oriented, and I think, you know, what what I find impressive is uh, is just the planning aspect of it. As I said in my introduction, you know, we don't really like to plan too much, but it really it makes a difference. You know, uh, when I was covering stories as a journalist. Um, often I would I, I worked for the business section of my paper, so a lot of executive has crisis management plans. Mm-hmm. But that was mainly basically, to be honest, I think it was it was like you know a public relations crisis management you know plan. What what to do when something happens, and how do you how do you control the damage really? Mm-hmm. But you really have a planning approach. So yeah, and I know that we've talked a bit about you know the urgent versus the important. So talk a little bit about how people, you know, look at that those issues and figure out um, how to get to the important, even if they're not urgent.
2: Well, you know, one of the things that happens is we all know that having a plan is important. Knowing what to do in a crisis is an important aspect of our lives. But, you know, our lives are busy. We've got a lot of other things that become urgent before a disaster plan. And unfortunately, if you wait, to create your plan until you are in a crisis, two things happen: you have a lot fewer options to take advantage of, and unfortunately, in a crisis, most of us make bad decisions. I mean, a perfect example would be the 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 movie The Poseidon Adventure, where the you know the chaplain is leading everybody to what was the top of the ship, which is now underwater, instead <sighs> of leading them in the direction where you know that was now part that was not underwater. Right. So, you know, it's like and people will follow the wrong things. I mean, we've seen that also in in uh any kind of a mass shooting incident where people run towards the gunfire instead of away from it. You know, their their perception of what's going on, they're not they're not perceiving the danger the same way. And the same right. thing happens in any kind of a crisis. So, if you have a plan in place beforehand, it does so much for you in that you can stop worrying about what could happen which so many people lose many nights of sleep worrying about oh my god what my child is out for, you know god what what what's going to happen if he has a car accident or or my parent right my, my my father just went in the hospital i hope everything's going to be okay or my husband was just diabe- di- diagnosed with diabetes and So now you start worrying about, oh, well, is that going to mean he's going to end up with kidney failure and amputations and and he's going to die on me before I'm ready? I don't know what to do. Having the plan in place before you need it takes all of that worry off the table because you will know exactly what to do when something happens.
1: Right. Now, some of the, um, so let's dive into a little bit of, about, you know, actually putting together the plan because I, I've touched on this in a couple of shows dealing with sort of elder law planning. And so there are some basic components of, you know, of the will and, and the, um, you know, the healthcare proxy and uh, the power of attorney and so forth, living will and so forth. But you've really broadened this out. So So what are the components of some of your, and how do you organize these plans for people?
2: Well, you know, one of the things that makes what I do a little bit different is that I'm like configuration control for planning. Mm. I'm not an attorney. I'm not an insurance person or a financial person. I'm not a banker. Um, I'm, I'm none of those things. Uh, I What I am is configuration control. And my dad worked in configuration control, strangely enough, mm. in that when you're in configuration, what you do is you make sure all the parts fit together the way they're supposed to. So like when he worked on the right front foot of the limb, he had to make sure that all the components that were involved in that foot fit together when this team and that team and that team put it all together for that, you know, that, that right. you know, that you didn't have a round plug going into a square hole, you know,
3: right. <laughs>
1: you right.
2: know which they, they did on Apollo 13, where they were trying to make that, that air filter fit, right? They had the the round filter that had to fit or the square filter that they had to put in a round thing. So what I do is really help people identify what they've already got in place. And a lot of people are really surprised by how many things they actually already have. Hmm. Just that they're all over the place and they don't know where they are, but they have things. The next thing you want to do is identify what's missing and then fill in those missing pieces. Mm -hmm. And then you want to organize it in a way that other people can, can find the important documents when they need it. And you need to communicate it to the people that need to know.
1: Right. So, so what kind of documents are we talking about now?
2: So you're going to have all of your homeowner's documents from your title to your insurance to your, you know, Everything having to do with your home, your closing documents, you're going to put that in a file. You're going to have all your legal documents, which will be your will, your power of attorney, your healthcare proxy, your living will, and your HIPAA document, which is a document that a lot of people don't think about. But HIPAA allows you to have the information about a loved one when they are hospitalized. I mean, my my mother-in-law and father-in-law didn't understand what that document was, so they never would assign anybody to have access. So when my husband would call from Long Island to Florida, they couldn't even tell him that his mother was in the hospital. Right. And, you know, and he'd be like, but I know she's there and, you know, I I need to know what's going on. And they couldn't tell him because they didn't tell the hospital that this person was allowed to know what was going on.
1: Right. Yeah, and, I think
2: and it was more they didn't know. It wasn't like they were deliberately excluding him.
1: Right. I've heard similar things about like long-term care insurance, you yeah. know, uh, long-term insurance policies where, you know, the the insured has their name on it, but then if, if they're incapacitated then you know, their you know, the insurance company says, well, you're not authorized to know about this. And so, you know, that's a similar situation. Yes. Yeah.
2: So yeah. you you definitely need to have those documents, Your any of your insurance documents. And that includes your health insurance, your homeowners, your property, your uh, cars, all the different types. You have more kinds of insurance than you probably even think you have between life insurance and long term care policies. And, you know, you may have a supplemental health care policy. You you have all of these different insurance policies all over the place, and you may be missing out on reimbursements that you don't even know about because you, you forget, oh, yeah, I have that supplemental policy from Affleck or one of those companies where you could be getting money back every time you go to the doctor and you forgot about it, you know? So have your banking information together. Um, that's really important. I mean, you talk to any banker and they will tell you at least once a week they have somebody in tears in their office saying, but I need the money out of my mother's account to bury her, but you're not a co signatory Well, I had a power of attorney. The power of attorney dies with you. Mm. So when you die, that power of attorney is useless with the bank. So you need to be either a co-signature, they actually have a card that you can sign that says you have access to the account upon the death of the owner of the account, so you don't, you can't steal their money while they're alive. You can only spend it for what you know, what you need afterwards. Um, there's ways that you know, but you need to have that conversation about the banking. Right. Um, funeral preparation is another area. I mean, I was so grateful that my husband had every detail of his funeral planned. Mm because i did not have to make any decisions whatsoever um he had you know he had spoken to the minister he had the readings all picked out he knew exactly what he wanted for his funeral and he wanted it to be a celebration of his life and it truly was and because i didn't have to make the decisions at the time of his death i was able to celebrate his life with his friends and family and the people that mattered to to him and i the most so it, it just takes all that pressure off of you. And then there's little things that people don't think about. Like, um, you know, I worked with a, a young man who was 35 at the time. Hmm. And his wife had passed away unexpectedly. And she had handled all of the bills and banking and everything for the family, but all the finances. Right. She did everything online and The husband didn't even have the password to the computer. He had no idea what bills needed to be paid. He had no ideas what bank they used because they got everything online. They didn't get any paper statements. I know myself, my husband would not have known how to pay things online. So to this day, I still get paper statements on everything. I pay everything online, but I get paper statements on everything because it's just that redundancy that will give you the peace of mind of knowing that. You know, if something happened to me, my husband would, he knew how to write a check and he would have known what bills to pay. Yeah. yeah. You know, so that was, you know, those are the kinds of things that you need. You're also, you need to have your passwords written down. Right. I mean, how many of us rely on a software program but we don't have anything written down or or you keep doing reset password because you can't remember it
3: all the <laughs> right, time right you
2: yeah. know yeah i actually have a a, a book called a password passport that allows you to enter all your passport mm. passwords right uh, and it's alphabetical you can change them up to nine times in the same listing so you can keep changing it because i know some of them make you change it every three months
3: yeah, uh,
2: yeah. but it gives you a written record and again that's something that you need to keep secure that's not something that you want to just leave laying around right. for anybody to find right but right. you know sure beats having sticky notes all over your computer
1: right yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah well I think you're you're, you're absolutely right about uh, especially you know active couples you know where they're together for a while but then you, you sort of naturally have a separation of powers or, a th- or mm-hmm. you know involvement in you do this I do this and so forth and then one of them unfortunately passes on, or is incapacitated, and the the other one's like, well, I, I don't know what to do now. I don't, you know, I don't know any of these things. So I think it's absolutely important, as you say, to make sure that you pass along this critical information to your spouse or partner, um, and that you share that and have it in a secure place. Um, so we're going to take a short break shortly, um, but when we get back, Linda, I'd like to talk uh, much more about. Okay, what do you do with this material? How do you organize it and where do you put it? We started to talk about that a bit, but mm-hmm. there are options like, because that's another thing is like, I don't want to put passwords on my computer because what if it gets hacked? So, what right. do we do with this information and how do we keep it secure? So, folks, we'll be right back with Linda Fostek, the crisis planner. Don't go anywhere.
4: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
5: A heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Bravehearts Radio with Brian Reingold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input too. Listen for Brave Hearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere.
0: You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward.
1: Welcome back folks to 45 Forward, where we're talking with Linda Fostek, the crisis planner. Uh, before the break, we were talking about all of the important documents that people needed to assemble to make sure that they're prepared for any kind of um, a crisis in the family. Uh, so what do we do with these documents? Linda? I mean, how do we organize them? Where do we put them? I know that there are issues about security on your computer. Uh, and you just started talking also about having paper backups, which I know we're trying to go paperless in society, but it is true. Like, nothing like paper when the computer crashes. So... Talk a bit about what do you, how you help people organize, and where do they, where do they put the information?
2: Well, you know, we, we were kind of going through some of the different areas that they needed to have their paperwork from. So you're going to need your legal documents. You're going to need all your financial documents. So you're going to have a folder for everything. And you, your medical documents are another area where you really need good documentation. So you, you create folders for the paper. Now. There's any number of ways that you can organize it. I have a watertight box that holds Pendaflex files that I have everything in. It's all labeled. Everything's in one place, especially if you're talking about nat- you know an area where you have natural disasters. You want to have something that's grab and go that you're not searching for documents. You know when they tell you that you know you have to evacuate cuz you've got a wildfire coming down the road right you know you want to make sure that everything is together all the time and when you get a new document you replace the old document with the new document so that you don't have a lot of crap in there that people have to say well is this the one or is that the one you know right. <laughs> you know so it, it is a little bit of maintenance to to keep it up to date and of course this time of year we just got all of our new tax documents so you should have all your most current statements from all of your banking accounts from all of your financial institutions. You know, you you get all of those documents at this time of year to get ready for your taxes. So this is a perfect time to just kind of go through quick review what you have, make sure everything's up to date, keep everything in one place. You don't want to be sending your people, your family on a scavenger hunt without a list. Um, you know, And that's what happens too often and and things get lost. People don't know about things. I think the the worst example I've I've seen on that was a, a family whose father had Alzheimer's and they did home care as long as they could, spent all his money, and he finally had deteriorated enough that they needed to move him into a nursing home. The nursing home said, OK, you qualify for Medicaid. You have no more money, but you have the house. So you've got to turn the house over to us to pay for your nursing home care, which was $15,000 a month. Um, you know, six months later, when the gentleman died, that's when Medicaid makes you sell the house and clean it out. Right. So now they clean they're cleaning out the house, and there they found it, the bottom drawer, safely tucked away. A long-term care policy that not only would have paid for all his home care, oh, wow. but would have saved the house and covered his nursing home care as well. So, uh, you know that that element of communicating, having it in one place where the family could have found it in the first place, then communicating to your family that. I have a long-term care policy before you have Alzheimer's, <laughs> you know, would right. be helpful because then they would know to look for it. Um, you know, that those two elements are really important. And I know with so many people, that becomes a place where people are uncomfortable. They're like, well, how much do I need to tell my family? And that's where when you have everything in a box, whether it's a watertight safe that you can grab and go, I have... I. Also have worked with those. They're Pendaflex safe that you put all your documents in, watertight box if you live in an area where flooding is prevalent. But keeping everything together allows you to have your family to know and tell them where to find it. They don't need to know what's in it. They just know where where is it, you know?
1: Right, right. And Unless it's I, in a in a safety deposit box, then then they need to know how to they have access to it.
2: <laughs> they have to have access to the safe deposit box. So I usually recommend three copies of all your documents you want to have one in your ice file which is what that box is called ice in case of emergency Mm -hmm. you want to have one that's either on a flash drive where you've copied all the documents onto a flash drive um, that you can either keep in your safe deposit box or give to a trusted family member in case of emergency you know a flash drive and then you should also have one set of documents in the cloud Mm. And my rationale for that is if your home is destroyed, you will still have the flash drive and the cloud. If your right. community is destroyed and you lose the flash drive and your your box of stuff, you will have the cloud. If all three are gone, we're in much bigger trouble than my little documents. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> you know? right, right. And that's kind of, you know, it's it's about having some redundancy. Right. And 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 knowing that you're going to be okay. Most of the time, right.
1: When you talk about in the cloud, what be more specific? Are are there, you know, how do people look for secure places in the cloud? I mean, because well, they like-
2: there are some programs out there that actually have secure document storage, and you have a pers- a private vault in the mm-hmm. cloud for the secure document storage, and um, I actually do work with a company that that does that. Um, and there is access to that on my website, okay. um, but you know, there's any number of ways, whatever you're most comfortable with. I'm not here to sell a specific product specifically, but having, you know, and you scan the document and put it on the cloud. I tend not to want anything on my phone. I don't keep anything on my phone. I don't keep anything on my computer. That's of sensitive nature. Again, fear of hacking, I think you mentioned. (laughs) It's definitely something that is very much in my head. Um, I know there's a lot of younger people that have no fear of this at all, and they put everything in their device. But what if you lose your device? Right, right. You know, and is it, you know, a laptop? Yes, that easy to grab and go with. But, you know, if you have a desktop, that's not so easy to grab right. and go. Right. So, you know, you want to, ha- but the redundancy is so important because maybe you know how to use all the technology, but your loved one doesn't. And that's where the paper comes in handy. And right. I, you know, I, I find myself using more paper since I've had computers than I ever did before I had computers. I don't right. know what that right. is. Right. Um, but, you know, it, it is important to have those documents stored yep. properly everything together, and there's over 80 different documents listed in my book, And Now What? And this is this is a little organizing book that I have mm-hmm. called, and Now What? Right. And it's, I'm trying to get it so it can see. Right. It's a life planner and survivor's checklist, and there's over 80 different documents that you really need to look for and see if you can find.
1: Right, right.
2: Uh, and then put them together. Yeah. You know, what I like
1: about your, your approach is, to, I'm, I'm a big um, fan of checklists. Yeah. <laughs> I read this book a little while ago called The Checklist, Checklist Manifesto um, uh, by a, a, a physician, you know, originally developed uh, to, to help uh, lim- uh, minimize infections in, in operation, operating rooms. But I think they really are handy because they're... You know, they're they're not everything, but there are a lot of things and they're they're really, you know, going back to our engineering advocacy. Well,
2: and if you look at it.
1: Yeah, they're ways to really make sure you don't miss things.
2: And what does a pilot do before he ever takes a plane off? They have a very detailed checklist of every single item they have to check before that plane is given authorization to take off with that pilot. Right. Right. You know, and that pilot is the last line of defense before that plane takes off to make sure that everything is operating pop- properly, right? And, and you are the last line of defense for your family because really by having a plan, that is the greatest gift of love you can give to your family by right. prepare being prepared and having them know that they're going to be okay if something happens to you. Right. I right. think that you know, it's too many people sit there and go, well, they'll figure it out. Well, once you've been through that, they'll figure it out. You would never want to do that to another family member right. because it it's too painful. It makes the loss, it compounds the loss and the trauma even right. more.
1: Yeah. Now, I think what I like about the approach, too, is that you've broadened it, too, to, to look at, you know, the home. the home, So, you have a home kit. So, I think that's, in addition to these, um, you know… Uh, legal, financial, medical documents, there's just the issue of how do you take care of a home? You know, what are the things mm-hmm. you need to, you know, so some of them may not even be, you know, for crises, but if, if you if you forget to do certain maintenance in your home <laughs> on a regular basis, that could become a crisis of things breaking down. Um, so what are some of the things people should think about in terms of, you know, crisis planning for the home? What should well, people know? You
2: know- As a widow, I'm I'm a homeowner. So everything is on my shoulders. So and believe me, things happen when you don't expect them. I mean, I, you know, since my husband passed, I had not done much cooking. And of course we shut down the country like last March sixteenth, and the seventeenth was St. Patty's Day. So I decided, okay, I'm gonna make the world's smallest corned beef and cabbage and some tomatoes for myself because I couldn't go anywhere and I was gonna be all by myself. So I had three burners on my stove on, all at the same time, finished cooking the meal, go to turn the burners off, and one of them would not go off. It was, the valve failed in the open position. I have never seen that happen before in a gas stove in my life, but I couldn't turn it off. Wow. And fortunately, I have all my gas shutoff valves labeled in my basement. So I just went downstairs to the basement, found the gas shut off for the stove, turned that off, the The gas was off, the flame went out, no problem. Of course, it took me six months before I could get a repairman to fix it, <laughs> but that was okay. But you know, but I didn't panic because I knew how to turn the gas off. And the same thing with water. I just had a a, a ridiculous water leak in my office. I mean, I came home and my carpet is a little squishy. It wasn't like I didn't have a Blood, but i had a squishy carpet i'm like okay now i know that my sewer line goes out on that wall no that was dry i have baseboard water heating that was dry my main water line had a pinhole leak in it wow and so okay i knew i had to turn off the water you know and now I know what to do. And of course, when I call the repairman, I'm like, okay, this is what the problem is. I know exactly what to do. So it it keeps you in a much better state than being in a complete panic. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And then the water keeps coming. You know, like one of the things that happened in Texas with the deep freeze this, this mm-hmm. February was they had really bad things happen in apartment buildings, because even if you could turn off the water, once the before the pipes freeze in your individual apartment the sprinkler system needed to be turned off at the street by the fire department Hmm. so once those sprinkler lines froze every apartment was destroyed wow so that brings up the point of how many people realize that they need content insurance on their apartment because the landlord has the building covered but does not cover what you own in your apartment. And content insurance is relatively inexpensive, and it's, it's a great way to protect yourself from something as bizarre as what happened this winter in Texas. Right. <laughs> you right.
1: know? Yeah. Well, I think this this is, you know, an important point that you're bringing up, and I think it's uh, especially because I think it, it's sort of, um, you know, a two-generational uh, issue, uh, for, you know, people in their 40s and 50s and then their older parents. And I think, you know, I think if, if the pandemic is shown as nothing, it's that um, the, the vulnerability of seniors, you know, who are isolated. So, mm-hmm. you know, you need to really think about um, your, your parents as well. Um, so what what should I know that you have sort of an emergency kit? Like what what should you have in case of some sort of n- not a personal tragedy, you know, someone passing, but, you know, some disaster hitting, uh, and, and, you know, and, you know, you're stuck, you're isolated. What, what should people have in their home?
2: Well, there's a lot of things. I mean, you should have put together a disaster kit and that Mm -hmm. should include a, um, battery powered or a crank powered radio that you can get communication. Should the power go out, you want to have some alternate source of power for yourself if possible. Um, you know, a generator. I mean, I know when we had Sandy and the power was out, um, a lot of people tried to run their generators 24 hours a day, and they spent hours spent standing in gas lines for gas for their generators. Um, the reality is, in order to keep your food safe and your freezer frozen, you just need to run the generator for two hours at a time, three times a day.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: and. Believe me, you appreciate not having the noise twenty-four hours. <laughs> right, right, and right. If you time it right, you can charge all your devices, your computer, your phone, and everything else while the generator is on. You can watch a movie on TV, you can, you know, you can do a few things. You can keep your refrigerator cold, your freezer cold. Having enough food in your house, I know that was one of the things I talked about before they shut everything down. Does everybody have at least a two or three week supply of food in the house, of non-perishable food that they could have enough to eat if they couldn't, if we weren't allowed to go out to the grocery store? Who knew what was going to happen? Right. Um, You want to have a supply of water. I actually keep two liter bottles in my freezer filled with water. Mm -hmm. There's two things in that keeps the frozen stuff frozen a long time right. but it also gives you drinking water as it defrosts so you'll always have drinking water right the other thing that yeah. happened in texas recently when the water system failed people couldn't flush their toilet um, that's where you want to put a garbage pail in your in your shower before the you know the water fails Fill the garbage pail up that you can have enough water to flush the toilet when you need to. So there's a lot of things that you can have. And you want to have blankets and things. If you have to evacuate, you want to have everything you need to survive. Your medications, if you have a CPAP machine, if you have... Uh, a dialysis unit. If you have, you know, your testing equipment, your your breast pump, if that's if you're nursing a baby and you want to have that. I mean, there's a lot of different things that you need to make sure you have. You don't want to end up at a shelter with a teddy and your phone charger. Right. I mean, you might be able to do something with the teddy. Uh, I don't know, <laughs> but that's not the thing that they want you to be doing in the shelter. Uh, right. Know, but, right. But you know, in a panic, people grab the stupidest stuff. Right, And right. if you have a pet, you want to make sure that you have all the supplies and that vaccination information and, and all that information needs to be part of your emergency kit. Right, So you right. want to have food, you want to have a crate, you want to have a leash, you want to have licensing, you want to have vaccination information, water for your pet. Because, you know, a pet drinks right. water, too. So you've got to c- count them as part of the family.
1: Yeah. You don't need to be a survivalist. But no. you, you need to think about, you know, reasonable preparation for mm-hmm. emergencies that might happen. And that uh, you kind of check it once in a while. Right. I guess, right? Because you say, you oh, a fire
2: for your child. You better have enough diapers. Right. Right, <laughs> you, right, It right. can get pretty awful if you don't. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, and clothing and a favorite toy for a child or some... You know, card games or small games, you right, put that in right. your disaster kit. Yeah.
1: Okay, let's hold that thought. We'll, we'll continue a little bit along these lines, but we're going to take another break. Uh, but when we come back, we'll have uh, much more for our last segment with Linda Fostek. So don't go anywhere, folks. We'll be right back. <music>
4: do you want to hear a show about football how about football moms what if we told you that was just a start tune in for double down with garrett and mac audrey garrett and Jeracy mac are moms to some well-known nfl players sure they'll talk football and raising their kids to achieve greatness But they'll also talk about community and world issues, motherhood, news, and lifestyle topics. Listen in every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio?
0: You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward.
1: Welcome back, folks. We're here talking with Linda Fostek, who is the author of The Crisis Planner, among other numerous books, which we'll tell you about before the end of the show. Uh, and uh, I want to just shift a little bit, uh, Linda, because your approach is also, you know, I think, important for the individual families and, and people um, in the families, the spouses and partners and children, um, but also on a community level. Now, you've been involved for a number of years uh, you know, with a CERT, you know, with a community emergency response team. So tell us a little bit about that. And how could communities be better prepared themselves to deal with crises?
2: Well, after Katrina you know, FEMA realized just how woefully unprepared they were and the community was to actually know what to do. And uh, they actually created an organization called CERT, which is the Community Emergency Response Team, mm-hmm. which there is a CERT chapter in every county throughout the United States. Um, it's an all-volunteer organization where you receive specific training in in disaster preparation, um, everything from first aid, CPR, search and rescue, fire suppression, uh, you know, running what they're calling the pods, where you see them doing um, um, testing and vaccine distribution and PPE distribution through the the COVID thing, so they're. You know, we're there to help. and you know we direct we do we learn traffic control. So I mean, like I've done traffic control for the Long Island Marathon and for the um, Cow Harbor Day. And you know we're we usually assist over at the Jones Beach um, uh, air show and uh, it you know on fourth uh, memorial weekend. So we're right. you know we do we do a lot of different things in the community. And, you know, as a part of it, you really begin to feel like you're part of the solution. Mm -hmm. But their mandate is, first, take care of yourself and your family. Second, take care of your immediate community and, you know, your your immediate area. And then, if you can, you take care of the broader community.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. So, throughout this pandemic, we've been activated... Uh, quite a bit. We assisted with PPE distribution early on. Um, Starting in um, April, we were, you know, March and April, we were um, helping get PPE out to nursing homes and group homes and assisted livings. And, you know, I I can tell you, when I made those phone calls to the nursing homes and and group homes and told them I had N95 masks for them, uh, they were like, can we come now? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> come now and pick them up. you know, and we had everything from um, gloves and gowns and shields and masks of different types and 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 um, hand sanitizer. And so we did that for a number of months. We were distributing that through the county. And since January, we've been assisting with the vaccine distribution. I'm, you know, just doing flow control. I'm not injecting anybody, but I'm helping people move through the process smoothly and as quickly as possible. So, um, you know, once a week I go and I donate anywhere from five to six hours of my time because it really does make you feel good when you see the happy faces walking out of the vaccine center that they're, they're done with their shot, you know? Right,
3: right, <laughs> you know?
1: right, yeah. Now, are there... You know, because one of the things that that I've thought about is that, you know, there there is is the organizing part. <laughs> you know, your your part, because I think that a lot of these things, um, you know, in for on a community basis really require, you know, multiple input from government, business, and private agencies, and and uh, you know. And it's tricky, too, of course, because when there are major storms, what happens? The Internet goes down. (laughs) So you have trouble. You know, people say, well, you go to this website. You're like, well, I can't get on the website. You know, Uh, but are there are there models that you've looked at where there are like, I don't know whether there are three one one sites where they're they're like, this is how you could deal with these things, these things, these things, which are cover multiple parts of life, whether it's food, whether it's electricity or power or.
2: Well, you know, I know that Suffolk County has an emergency operations center and okay. it's, it's a, you know, a a phone and computer hub where every agency, every utility, every town is represented there and, you know, from fire to police to, you know, the sheriffs to, to you know, every, everything is there. Right. So it's it's like one place where they coordinate their response and it is a coordinated response across agencies. Cause like we're under FEMA, but we work with the County, we work with the state, we, you know, everything is coordinated in such a way. And that's part of the training you get is the chain of command and, you know, where you are and what, you know, what roles you can actually take on. But, you know, as, as a community, as a CERT member, I'm really more in a support role to to take on things that, you know, other professionals are going to deal with. Right, know? but so this like,
1: model is available across the country. Is that their yes? Difference?
2: And it's across the country. So you know, like I'm not going to be doing EMS stuff, and I'm not going to be doing fire stuff, but maybe I can help with crowd control and traffic control, you know, or you know, just getting uh, water and food out to the people who are responding. There's, there's a lot of different things. And we work with the Red Cross and we work with, uh, you know, there's Team Rubicon, which is retired military people who who do volunteer work. Mm-hmm. You know, so even with the vaccine distribution, we've worked with all of these organizations seamlessly,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, and, you know, at the site, there's one person that says, okay, you stand here, you do that, you do this you know, that it's very clear what your roles are, but it, it, it makes it, it really, it runs very seamlessly. Right. And I, I'm very, very proud to be part of it. Right. And now,
1: you know, if someone in another part of the country wants to, to join a certain team, you need to get certain training and how do you, how yeah. do you proceed?
2: And, you know, any, well, every county probably has their own way of doing the training. I mean, we had live trainings before the uh, the COVID, um, lockdowns. Uh, in fact, that class that started before the COVID lockdown is still got to finish. Um, but it's, it, I guess some of it's online. I mean, certainly the, the FEMA coursework can all be completed online, the local stuff, you know, where you actually, and then we Within Suffolk County, you know, each township has a division. So I'm part of the Huntington division. So we're, you know, our division is very active. We do a radio check every week where we all check in on the radio and talk to one another. So, you know, and we keep our uh, communication up because I think that's like you said, the communication is the key. Right. And, you know, so once a week, we, we have our 730 check in, we check in and everybody and make sure everybody knows how to use the, the, the system. And it, it works really, really well. And, you know, I mean, I'm really looking forward to um, one of the things we do assist with is the flags over America for Memorial Day, where we uh-huh. place the flags at uh, Calverton. So we'll be doing that again this year. Yeah. Uh, last year they canceled it actually. We yeah. were unable to do it.
1: Well, I think you know this this just points out I think that the the kind of work you're doing on on a county level I think is important because you know a huge portion of America is suburban and rural. And I think that's you know we often think about models and say like they they basically work on urban models but which is fine except that they're you know, <laughs> there are many regions that have lots of different municipalities. And the, and the key is communicating across, you know, small ta- smaller towns or small cities um, in that space in between. And, you know, a lot of things can fall through the cracks. And and people could live, you know, in one town and their parents could live, you know, in a, in an adjacent town. So you really need to think about, you know, how it is that you can do this on a, on a broader basis. Um,
2: so and some um, of that is having a family plan. Mm -hmm. Who calls who in case of emergency? I mean, I've seen a lot of people, you know, they they mark themselves safe on Facebook when something happens in their community. I've seen them do that. You know, so that people that know them know that they're okay because, you know, oh, I know this person lives in that area in Nashville and they just had those terrible tornadoes. And, you know, you see so-and-so marked safe after the tornado. Now you know they're okay. You know, and, and that's the reassurance on that. I mean, I, I know for so many people on nine eleven, when the whole communications went down and nobody could call anybody. And, you know, my sister's family was scattered all over. Her daughter was in Buffalo. Her husband was on on the road traveling. And, you know, she was in school and didn't even know about it until two in the afternoon because they didn't tell the teachers that anything was going on except that the parents were coming in by one one by one and taking the kid out of the classroom and they right. didn't have any clue what was happening. Right, right. You know,
1: so Yeah. So before we leave, I just wanted to spend a couple minutes talking about something that's a little bit tangential but I think related which is your work with science labs uh, with working with young children uh, to help cultivate their imagination and creativity but also problem solving. Coming back to that. So Tell me a little bit in the time you've left uh, about this program.
2: Well, I'm actually launching another business, which is called The Science Labs, Mm -hmm. and it's a series of children's books that is designed to teach young children, four to seven years old, Hmm. about the scientific method, using their imagination and curiosity, and to become problem solvers because we're going to need them to be the problem solvers of tomorrow. And if all they're taught is how to look things up, the only thing they're going to know is what is or what has been. They won't be able to imagine what could be. Mm. So in in my role as the problem solver, problem solution, this is a solution to helping our children realize that they have the ability to be the solution tomorrow.
1: Right, right. And, and what sort of... Uh, Flash that out a little bit more for me. How, what? How would you do that, or how?
2: Well, it you know we're expecting to launch it in June, and okay. it's um, <coughs> excuse me, um, it's going to be a series of children's books, and the science labs are two Labrador Retrievers, and they come across questions, and hmm. they look for solutions, and they have people friends and animal friends that help them uh, discover those solutions, and then it's going to come with a specific science lesson that relates to the books. Um, and some activities that the kids can do with their parents so that they can actually, um, you know, learn how to be the problem solvers. And, you know, when you think about it, um, the greatest mathematic leaps forward have been accomplished by very young people, like Mm -hmm. 11, 13. Even um, theoretical physicists tend to be very young because... Their brain isn't cluttered with all this crap of what can't happen. <laughs> yeah. they, they look at things in such a pure way. And, you know, capturing a child at that age and encouraging them to use that imagination and, right. and to find the creative solutions.
1: Right, right.
2: From that age makes such a difference in the way they look at the world and ultimately their happiness. Their, yeah. You know, their, when you look at things from a solution perspective, Instead of being a victim, you become a victor.
1: Right. Excellent point. Yeah. I think, you know, we look at things like, you know, teaching, you know, young kids languages and realizing, oh, the younger you teach them, the more their mind is a sponge, but teaching them a mindset about, you know, how to address the world. I mean, science is great. And I mean, uh, you know, but they're teaching them also about problem solving, their own problem solving skills, not just, you know, solving the problems of experiments that have you know, been put forth in their their science classes, mm-hmm. I think is a really important skill. Um, so uh, this has been a, a great conversation. I wanted to, to, just before we leave, though, just to give a little bit more information for our, our listeners about Um, how they can get in touch with you in in future if they have questions or they want to learn more about you. Um, You could learn more about you on my website, rowellresources.com, and click on the 45 Forward tab, and I'll have much more information about you and your background on there. But where else can people get in touch with you, Linda?
2: Well, they can get in touch with me at thecrisisplanner.com. Okay. If they're interested in the home system, that's the right. which gives you the whole toolbox of things so that they can get to know their home and know what to do when there's a disaster. Um, also, um, if they would like to email me, it's Linda Fostek, F-O-S-T-E-K, at the So I'm easy to get I'm easy to find.
1: Right. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Okay. So, folks, um, uh, tell your friends, if you've missed our live show with Linda, they can listen to today's show as a podcast if you go to voiceamerica.com and click on the the search for the 45 Forward Show, and that podcast will be available shortly after we're done. Uh, If you have questions for me or comments, suggestions on what you'd like or who you'd like to see on the show, you can email me at ron.roel at gmail.com. So... Be sure to join me next Monday, 12 noon um, Eastern time, uh, Pacific time, rather, I'm sorry, and 3 p.m. Eastern time, when I'll be talking with Ed Schwartz, the chair of PEER, the Personal Enrichment in Retirement, an organization of retired folks with a passion for lifelong learning uh, and an unusual approach to fulfilling it. So uh, thanks again, Linda. And until then, folks, keep moving forward